Well, thank you, uh, Jerry, and, and thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here this morning. Um, but I did share in the first service, I'm also definitely a little nervous because uh, as Jerry explained, as a banker, I don't normally do this. Um, and so uh, I, I definitely feel a little nervous and it's an incredible passage we have today. So I just hope that I, that I can do it justice. Um, but this morning, my, uh, when I came down, my son Sam was distressed because he, he saw me dressed up and he said, Dad, why are you wearing your work clothes to church? It's like, I thought you were preaching today. Aren't we going to church? So it definitely is a different role for me this morning. And then Leah, who's my five-year-old, um, was, was encouraging me. And she said, Dad, I was really nervous to stand up in front and sing with the Sunshine Singers. But I did great. <laughs> and then she kind of alluded to Buddy the Elf, which really warmed my heart, where she said, and singing is basically the same as talking, except it's louder and longer and you move your voice up and down. So if I can sing in front of people, you can talk in front of people. So Leah, I'm trying to channel my inner sunshine singer this morning uh, and, and, and uh, hopefully uh, just like in the first service, no one left early for the biscuits and gravy. So uh, we'll, we'll hope that that happens here today. Uh, but again, as I said, today's scripture is exciting. We're continuing in Joseph, um, and we've been at it now for nine weeks, I think. Uh, I probably should have checked my math uh, before, before coming up here, but it's been, a, it's been a little while. And so I thought I would give a recap of where we've been prior to today, because the scripture just jumps right in. Um, almost kind of mid-sentence. It was, it's a natural breaking point, but it, it is, it's a bit abrupt. So the important part with Joseph is it starts with a dream. And the dream was that the stars would bow down to Joseph and the, and the um, sheaths of hay would bow down to Joseph and it was his brothers would bow and he would kind of rule over him. So the brothers obviously don't like that dream and they also don't like how their father Jacob has shown favoritism to Joseph. So long story short, they sell him into slavery to Egypt. Um, some things happen there, which we've gone over, but essentially Joseph works his way up um, through his wisdom and discernment of dreams, but also in his, in his administrative abilities to become prime minister of Egypt. And in that role, he saves Egypt from a massive famine. Um, that same famine is impacting Joseph's brothers back home as well as their father. And they've run out of food, so they go to Egypt where they hear that they've saved up grain and they go to, to basically buy and beg for some food. One there, they meet Joseph, who is now prime minister. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And so he runs them through two tests prior to today's passage. The first test is he has them, um, you know, he accuses them of having malicious intent. Like, you're here, you're spies, what are you doing? And he then says, I, you know, he asks more detail. And they explain that they have a brother at home named Benjamin and an older father. And so he insists that he holds Simeon kind of as hostage for them to come and bring Benjamin back to him. So they get home, and Jacob, meanwhile, has made Benjamin his new favorite. So Joseph was his favorite. He is now his youngest and his favorite son, and he refuses to let them go. Um, and so he's willing to let Simeon just kind of rot as a slave in Egypt and not, and not let Benjamin go because he's so afraid Benjamin will not come back. And so Reuben makes this kind of empty offer, which we talked about two weeks ago, where he says, if, if we don't return, you can kill my oldest two sons. You know, real heartwarming dad. Um, so Sam and Leah, when you complain about me, it could be worse. 
Um, and so he offers that, but then Judah steps up and says, you know what, I'll put my life on the line. If we don't bring Benjamin back, you can take my life in exchange. And so they go to, Ju- they go to Joseph, they bring the money that they th- the, to buy more grain, and they get, you know, they show Benjamin. Joseph still doesn't reveal himself to them. And then they leave, and they bring Benjamin with them. And everything seems great. They're on the road home when all of a sudden, as we heard last week, uh, the steward, Joseph Steward, runs down the road and stops them and says, someone's stolen the, the prime minister's cup. And they're like, us? No, it couldn't be. I mean, again, they didn't steal it. But he stops them, and it's found in Benjamin's sack. Um, and at that point, which was uh, where we finished last week, is where they tore their clothes and turned and headed back to Egypt. Um, and that is where we pick up today, is where they're coming back to meet Joseph for the first time. So if you would read with me, it's from Genesis 44, chapter 14. Again, it's kind of a long passage, so, uh, so hopefully we can, we can get through it, but... Um, Again, as, as Jerry noted, it is a story, so it is engaging in and of itself. And it also recaps some of what, what I've already said. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, We said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil." To Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. 
For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father." Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the hope that is contained in it. I pray today that that would be very apparent to us. I pray that you would give extra grace today to my words, that you would fill them with the meaning you want us all to hear. And I pray that our ears would hear the message that you have for us. And I pray that our hearts would be moved by the message and that we would have real change as a result. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So today, we, we really come to the climax of the story of, of Joseph. And it centers, at least unexpectedly to me, on Judah. Um, and before we dive into the story a little bit, I wanted to talk, spend just a quick time talking about genealogies. Because... Genealogies are very important in family history within the Old Testament and the New, um, but it's also something that our culture finds really meaningful. I feel like the fact that Ancestry.com advertises in prime time just shows that people have an interest in knowing where they come from as a means of trying to, to find meaning to who they are and, and where they've been. And I've always been fond of history. Um, unfortunately, I think I've passed that along to my son Sam, uh, who just finished first grade and in a week is starting second grade. But they had at the end of the year a project, a young author's project, where they could write a book. And Sam, I think, was the only one who, who probably chose to write a nonfiction book. Um, and he wrote on the history of World War I. Um, and so Sam has inherited this love of history from me, but I, like Sam, got that love from my father. And my father has taken history kind of to a whole new level. Um, and has spent a lot of time digging into the Perrin family history. He's also done it for the various branches of our family tree. Um, but today I wanted to focus specifically on, on the Perrin side, um, which he had, he had focused in on. And he spent about 25 years doing research, staring at microfiches, uh, wandering through cemeteries. Um, and uh, I was laughing uh, earlier about the fact that if he had just waited probably 25 more years, Ancestry.com would come along and it, he could have done it a lot quicker. Um, but I guess there's value in the journey, right? And so one of the things he's found is he's traced our family back to the old kings of Wales and of old England. And from there, kind of natural history picks up and you can, you know, can trace back through to, to, um, to Noah and then back to Adam and Eve. So essentially he's kind of, it's a bit meandering and there's some maybe gaps in there, but has traced our family roots all the way back essentially to the Bible. Um, and it's been a really compelling story. So our family first came, the Perrin family first came to America in uh, 1635. 
Um, so outside of Native Americans, we're about as American as it comes. Um, and so Donald Trump would love my family. And uh, we left to come here though, which is part of the interesting story. We left France as French Huguenots, which were French Calvinists who were persecuted because of their faith. And they left, they were so attached to their faith, they wanted to commit that and they wanted to, to um, go where they could freely exercise their religion. And so that's why 50 years later they came to America. And in the almost 400 years since that time, it's a fascinating history of lots of spiritual faithfulness and starting churches all over the country. Um, and, and you can see there were you know, founding members of multiple churches across mainly the, the eastern half of the US. But most recently, I have four generations before me of pastors in my family, of Presbyterian pastors, actually. Um, so my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and then it skips one, but it's great-great-great-grandfather, were all Presbyterian pastors. Um, and then there's me, who uh, continued the legacy as a banker. Um, <laughs> but I feel a little bit, if you remember Forrest Gump, where Lieutenant Dan has that vision of he had a, a forefather die in every great American battle, and he feels like that's his legacy, and he got cheated in Vietnam and wasn't able to fulfill his destiny. I feel that way a little bit uh, without being a Presbyterian pastor. Um, but I do love our family history and it, that, that faithfulness and, and, and commitment to faith that's, that's gone through those, all those you know, centuries really speaks to me and inspires me today. And the Old Testament and New look at families a lot. And, and you know, as you read through, there's a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, I've just skipped chapters where it's such and such begat, such and such. It's just like, oh, I've got to get through this. But Matthew starts actually with a genealogy. And I know a lot of times, you know, especially someone, they're inquiring about their faith, they go to the beginning of the New Testament and jump right in, and, um, and then you start with this genealogy. So it's kind of anticlimactic, and I think a lot of people just skip it to get to the good stuff. But I wanted to read it today to you. Uh, and I'll read it kind of quickly on, on purpose, just to get through the names. But it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And then it continues from David all the way to Jesus. Um, and so I don't want to butcher any more names, and I also want to keep short on time, knowing that we've got brunch ahead of us. But did you catch who was in that line directly to Jesus was Judah. So today, I wanted to focus on Judah. And why would God use Judah? Of all the brothers, why did he pick Judah? He wasn't even the oldest. He was the fourth oldest, and he certainly wasn't the greatest. I mean, why did he not use Joseph or even Benjamin? You know, Benjamin, so far in this story, seems to have done nothing wrong. His father loves him, so he must be a pretty good guy. Why did Judah become the ancestor to Jesus and play such a prominent role in God fulfilling his covenant? And that's what I look at today, because this is the moment that we see where Judah redeems himself and becomes part of the dream that God set forth through Joseph at the very beginning of this series. And so I want to look at and take away three lessons that we can learn from Judah and what Judah can teach to us. So if God used Judah 
uh, even a person like Judah, what does that mean to us? And I think the first thing that that says, to me at least, is that God works through broken people. And he doesn't use us because we're great or because we've done great things. And I'll go to show, I actually think God uses us because of our brokenness. Um, And so it's kind of good news, bad news, right? We are more messed up than you think you are, but God still has a plan for you. And Judah is clearly broken. I don't think I need to spend much time showing that. So Judah was the brother who, if you remember, spoke up when they were getting ready to kill Joseph. He said, why would we kill him if we can sell him and then we get rid of him and make money? So someone pointed out after the first service, he may have been the first capitalist uh, in, the, in, the, in the history, but he, you know, he's trying to make money off his brother, so he's clearly a, a terrible person. Chapter 38 in Genesis, if you have a chance to read it um, later on today, just breeze through it. It's an interesting chapter. Jerry skipped it. Uh, he wimped out and, and just skipped the chapter altogether. And my theory is had Scott not been on sabbatical, Scott would have been asked to preach on chapter 38. <laughs> But chapter 38, in fairness to Jerry, is, is a, bit, a little bizarre, and it seems to be mainly focused on how broken Judah was. So Judah had two sons, and both were so wicked that God killed them. says that directly. Then, before that even happened, you know, Judah had taken a, um, a wife, it's, the Bible says, kind of in, out of lust from a Canaanite group, which was forbidden, so he'd take it of a, a wife from a forbidden family. God, his sons were so bad that God killed them. And we've seen how bad these brothers are, and God hasn't killed anyone yet of these brothers. So they must have been pretty bad. And then he ends up with uh, having a, his child through his daughter-in-law at the end of this. So it's a, it, it is a kind of a bizarre chapter, but I think it shows, it makes the point. It's almost purposefully showing how challenged and broken Judah was. And so I started thinking about that. I'm like, how, why would Judah get the honor of being in this line of Jesus? Um, and even in, the, in Revelation, it calls Jesus, uh, it calls Jesus the, the Lion of Judah. I don't know how many people know that. Jerry and I were talking in the charismatic tradition that's commonly used, that, that name. And there's some other contemporary Christian songs from the 80s and 90s, which I'll spare you, that, that are about that as well. But he's the Lion of Judah. Like, he, Judah gets this place of prominence, and he was so broken. But I think what it goes to show is that Jesus isn't tied to earthly greatness, Right? He's clearly not. Everyone was expecting Jesus when he came to be kind of this warrior king. A lot of the, the, the Jews were thinking he'd be this warrior king who would come and, 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 and reclaim the, their place of greatness in history. Um, and he's so clearly not. The, you know, Jesus' one glory is in what he did on the cross. Um, and that is his principal thing. It's not his family. It's not like me that gets a lot of, you know, excitement and meaning from looking at my family line. It's, that means nothing. It's all in what Jesus has done. And I think it goes out of its way to show that. Um, what's also interesting is in Hebrews 11, which is in the New Testament, there's a chapter that's kind of the, the heroes of the faith. And it goes through and, and lists them, and, and I'm not going to go through it today, but if you follow the characters in it, they all, like, a lot of them have some pretty serious moral failures. You know, in that list, there's murderers, adulterers, idolaters, prostitutes, and they've all kind of had periods of doubt and, and unfaithfulness, yet they're lifted up in the New Testament as our ancestors and heroes. Um, and I think it so clearly shows that God uses broken people and he works through us. And, uh, and, and we'll see how that, that ties together um, here in a bit. But the, the even better news is that God has a plan for us that's better 
than our own plan for ourselves. And you clearly see that with Judah. Judah had his own, he had his own plan that he was, that he was pursuing. So Joseph, at the beginning of this story, had the dream, right? And Judah and his brothers wanted nothing to do with the dream. But what's interesting is the more that they tried to defeat that dream and and sell Joseph off, they actually ended up fulfilling it. And the, the, the neat part about the story of Joseph and the dream within it is it actually ties into, so Joseph's story with Jacob and his sons and Judah all ties into a bigger dream that God has for his people. A dream that he cast with Adam and Eve when they first sinned and said, you sinned, but there's hope and I will save you, I will not forget you. And through that, that was the beginning of this covenant promise to his people, which then fast forward to Joseph and his brothers gets fulfilled through that line. It keeps going to keep the, the, the tribes of Israel alive and vibrant. If Joseph had never gone to Egypt, they would have never been saved from the famine. In, the, in this family line, Jesus' family line likely would have died out. But because the brothers sold him into Egypt, they were in a place where it can be saved. And it's so powerful to see that God's plan is working behind the scenes and working in spite of, of everyone else and through the brokenness of these brothers. Um, what's also interesting is, is you also have this, this dream that's then fulfilled through Jesus. So ultimately, that's where the hope comes from. And just like Judah offered to be a sacrifice for his brother, fortunately, Joseph didn't take him up on that. He saw his heart was changed, and we'll, I don't want to ruin next week. But he, you know, he doesn't end up taking him up on the offer, but Jesus did. So Jesus, Jesus also died for his younger brothers and really fulfilled that dream, that this is just a small part in that broader plan, but it shows that God is always working for our good. And one of the classic um, kind of lines, or, or one of the classic verses that many Christians know is Romans eight twenty eight, which says that, um, and we know for the, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And you see that so clearly through Judah, through Joseph, it's, it's amazing. But what I want to just take a quick point to, to show is what is God's good is not necessarily what we would want. I don't think any of us would volunteer and say, yep, I'm in for what Joseph went through. You know, sell me, then accuse me of, of uh, you know, of crimes and then, and then um, you know, have me separated from my family for years. Or even with Judah, you know, Judah said, yep, I'd, you know, I'd be very happy. I think it's a good idea for God to kill my two sons and for me to have this messed up family, right? I mean, it's not what you would plan for yourselves. And I think especially in today's culture, we slip into this moment where we feel like our good is God's good, and it's not. But in Joseph, we see how this plan is moving through. But later in Romans um, chapter 8, just 10 verses later, is another verse that says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation— will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is so powerful because no matter how bad we are, Jesus is there and is loving us and is fulfilling his dream through us. And you see this working in Joseph's life. So my Bible at home had like a, one of those subtitles for this chapter today that was called Judah Intercedes. And, and I don't know why it stuck out because when I first, uh, you know, 
a month or so ago when Jerry first told me what the, the passage would be. I looked at that and that was the first, the first subtitle. But what's interesting is you see that Judah intercedes, right? Because in this, in this chapter, it's actually the third time that he stepped up and interceded on, on someone's behalf. The first time was not so great, right? It's when he steps up to say, whoa, 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 what? let's not kill Joseph because if we, get, if, we, you know, if we sell him, we get rid of him and we make some money. So he steps up and, 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 and intercedes for Joseph in that way. The second time that he intercedes is what we learned about two weeks ago when he interceded with Judah or with um, Jacob. There's too many J's in this story. He intercedes with, with Jacob and says, look, I, you can have my life. If we don't return with Benjamin, you can take my life. And again, he probably, he had already met with, you know, he, he doesn't know if that's going to fulfill, but you see his heart changing. And it all leads up to the climax today where he has one more time to intercede, and he does. And this is where I think you see a perfectly changed heart. Ju- Judah steps up and he says, look, Joseph, you can take, or he didn't know Joseph, prime minister, you can take my life for my brothers. And so he's now interceded a third time, but you see God working through his heart in spite of himself. But at that point, he's, 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 uh, he really truly does have a changed heart. And that brings us to the kind of the third and, and final lesson this morning, which is it's only when our confidence in ourselves is shattered and we instead place our faith and hope in God that we can really become part of God's dream for us. So if Judah hadn't changed, he would have been out of the dream. If he hadn't made that third intercession and finally become a changed person, this would have been a much different story. Um, And he still had all of this confidence with his own plan that he was trying to work out. So from the very beginning, Judah hated God's dream through Joseph. He wanted nothing to do with it. And he did everything he could to kill the dream. And um, at this point, right before our, our passage today, there was a lot that he had to be confident in. It actually looked like they had pulled it off, right? That they had been able to go to Egypt, save the family from starvation, and bring back all the brothers, minus Joseph, intact, and live happily ever after. They're on their road marching back. And James Boyce, in his commentary on Genesis, mentions that, that Judah had confidence in three things at this point. Right before we get to this life-changing moment, he was confident in his word, because they had told Joseph, they said, hey, we have, you know, he accused them of being someone they weren't. And they said, no, we're, we have a, a, a dad at home and we have a little brother. And remember, Jacob was actually mad. He's like, why did you tell them about Benjamin? You know, but they told the truth and they came and proved it to Joseph. They said, here's, here's our brother. So their, their word was as a source of confidence for them. His money was as well, right? They paid for the grain the first time. And then when they came back, they paid for the grain from the last time and the grain this time. So they were interested in kind of buying their own way. And so they had kind of bought their own way. It, they were on their road home. Everything looked like it was good. And they also had their integrity uh, intact. So take a step what they had done early on in selling off, off Joseph. They were feeling, you know, they told Joseph the way it was. They promised they'd come back to get Simeon, and they did, and they paid for their grain, and everything's looking great until on their road home, the steward comes and finds the cup in Benjamin's sack, and, and, and it looks like Benjamin has, has stolen the cup. And at that point, 
And, and I loved the way, this was a nice assist from Jerry from last week with the tear in the turn. At that point, their confidence was torn. You heard the tearing of their clothes, right? They were in such anguish that they were completely broken at that point. And then they turned and went back to Egypt. And in that idea of Judah being torn is what he needed for this life change to happen. So he wasn't his plan, and even his plans almost worked out. He was this close to getting away with it, and everything would have worked out. The dream wouldn't have been fulfilled, and he, um, he has this life-changing moment. And you see that in verse 16. He says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. And so he's there basically agreeing that he has been that he has been guilty, that he has nothing to offer, that his brother's life, his father's life is worth more than his, and he's willing to give it all up. And at that point, that's where he's, where he's changed, when his self-confidence is gone and he's open to a new plan. And that's so true with us, with, with Jesus and how it works. And that's really the paradox of Jesus's message, because it's really, it's only when we give up our claim to our own life and embrace him that we, in, that we gain everything. So in losing our life, we gain everything. And in trying to keep our life, we lose everything. And you see that so clearly with Judah. Uh, I was thinking back and preparing this message to the series we did a couple series ago on the Sermon on the Mount. And it was really, um, it really resonated to me how much Jerry framed that whole message with the idea that Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And it's not until Judah's poor in spirit that he can begin to change. Um, and it's so powerful to me, and, and you see that, and, and I think that we should all look at those areas where we can become poor in spirit um, so that we can, that we can change. But the, the key message, though, is if we stay poor in spirit, we're still lost, right? Because self-confidence has, has a spectrum between pride and shame. So if things are going well for you, you're full of pride. Like, like Judah, like I said, on the road back, they're like, look, we did it. You know, we sold, we, we, we pulled this off. Dad's going to be so happy. We got Benjamin back. We've got money or we've got grain, so we're not going to starve. Life is feeling pretty good. And then when it gets ripped out from under you, you may feel like that you're, you know, from pride to shame, that you're hopeless and without, you know, without any, any way to get, um, to get what you want. And as long as we cling to ourselves as, as that reliance and that self-confidence, we're, we're always lost if we stay there because you may be poor in spirit, but you're not going anywhere. The key is, the, is in the turning because if we have our, our self-righteousness, our self-confidence ripped in half, the only way we're made whole again is by turning to Jesus and being made complete and putting our confidence in his plan. And that's what Judah did. So he was poor in spirit, and he came back and, and, um, and embraced um, the dream that God had for him. And I feel like we, we, we see this a lot. If your confidence is in yourself, you're, you're always going to be on a roller coaster. So as Jerry shared, for my profession, I manage uh, a, a sales team, and it feels like at work for me, my my view of my own self-worth changes depending on where I am relative to my goal. 
Um, so any of you in business can maybe appreciate that, but it's like, if I'm doing well, it's like I'm feeling really good and I should be the next CEO. And if I'm short, then I'm like, Ugh, I better start looking for a job. And it always feels, maybe because I'm not the best sales manager, but it always feels like it's, like it's always like this. It's never, it's never just even keel. It always feels like things are going really well or really, really badly. And I'm subject to that, that, that reign because it's, it's all in, in my situation. But if instead our self-confidence or our confidence, rather, is in Jesus, then that evens that out. And we're not subject to your circumstances. You're not subject to anything else. And I've, I've struggled with this myself um, in my personal kind of spiritual life. So to kind of bring back to the, to the beginning in the intro with my family, we have this history of all these great, you know, uh, you know uh, inspiring people who've been very faithful to the Lord, very faithful to um, leading others to Christ, and so I, sometimes I find myself struggling with this idea of what's Andrew doing? Like, what am I doing to help out kind of God's cause? Or what am I doing to, to, to help out? And the, the whole message from Judah is that I'm as broken as Judah. And I need to realize that. But it's only when I realize that and let God take over and do great things through me that anything great um, can really happen. And you see that actually in Hebrews 11. So that chapter I talked about where I said all these heroes of the faith were really, uh, had like really, a lot of them had really bad pasts. But what the author of Hebrews said is they are made heroes because they acted in faith. And they define faith as having hope and confidence, right? Not in yourself, but in God's dream. And that's what Judah did, right? He didn't stay broken. He needed to be broken in order for change to happen. But he instead put his confidence in the dream and and let go. And so today, I want you to ask where your confidence and where your hope is for you individually. Um, You know, those things like uh, where Judah had confidence in word, money, integrity, that sounds an an awful lot like a lot of the things we find confidence in, you know, today. And I think also in a community like Zionsville that is, is high performance, high status, I think we can easily get sucked into this whole performance measure. And so I ask everyone today to look where you get your confidence and, and hope. Is it in Jesus or is it in yourself? Because if it's in yourself, you're going to be on my sales roller coaster. If it's in Jesus, you know, you have a true identity. And so as you look at that, I think we all need to recognize that we're as broken and sinful as Judah. So we've, obviously, I don't think anyone in here um, has sold off their brother into slavery. Um, I noted earlier, if I thought there was a market for my brother, I might have uh, considered it at multiple times. But even me, you know, I could take back, it's like, like, I've never had, you know, I've never had my sons get killed because they're so terrible. I've never sold my brother into slavery. But we are as broken as Judah. And until we recognize that, we're, gonna, we, we're really lost. And the second piece is that I hope that we all learn that it's not what we accomplish in this world that matters, but rather it's what um, God accomplishes through us. And that's what you see through Judah. So broken, yet when he was open to the dream, God kept his covenant, kept his dream, fulfilled Joseph's dream, but fulfilled the incredible dream for the rest of mankind that through Jesus, all of us have life and can have it to the full. In closing, I wanted to read a, a, a quick um, couple sentences from Tim Keller's book on suffering. He has a whole chapter on Joseph, and he concludes it this way. Um, and, and again, I probably should have had this up there for to follow along, but hopefully you can, you can follow with me. He says, again and again in the Bible, 
God shows that he is going to get his salvation done through weakness, not strength, because Jesus will triumph through defeat, will win by losing. He will come down in order to go up. In the same way, we get God's saving power in our life only through the weakness of repentance and trust. And so often, the grace of God grows more through our difficulties than our triumphs. And so today, in closing, I I hope that all of us will realize that we're broken like Judah, but we don't have to stay there. If we turn to Jesus, he can make us complete. And through us, Jesus can do amazing things. And so I hope today that you are looking for those areas where God has a dream for your life and that you're open to seeing where he is going to work through you and how you can be part of that dream. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for this story of Judah. Uh, We thank you for giving us someone who seems so bad that we, by comparison, feel good, um, that we feel like we have some hope. Um, And we thank you more so than any of that, that you sent Jesus to be our hope and that you would work uh, through our lives and that we would not be trying to to work on our own. I pray that you would uh, work in the hearts of everyone here, just like you worked through Judah, Joseph, Jacob, all the brothers, that you worked in their hearts and shaped your dream through them. I pray that you would do the same today and that your spirit would move in a powerful way. I pray all this in your name. Amen.